0: Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? You can either access them if you want to save paper on your smartphone or on your mobile device. You'll see behind me uh, how to do that. Or if you're like me and just like good old-fashioned paper. Uh, we got a bit paper in there. Now, I want to just point out right from the beginning that Pastor Lisa's part of the outline is longer than mine. I think this is the first time, and you know, Jesus returns tonight. This is one of the signs of the second coming that somebody would have a longer part of the. Life. The big joke is usually I do like first part. So it's this huge, and I leave about two inches for uh, Lisa, but this time we went to another whole page. So I also want to give you a warning before Lisa comes up after. I'm going to do the first part, then she's going to do the second part is that uh, Lisa is preaching high uh, tonight, okay? She has a pinched nerve in her neck, and so who knows what drugs she is on tonight. So just, I, I personally am really looking forward to listening to what Pastor Lisa says when she's high. That, that is gonna, there are gonna be some insights from the Word that have never been done before, new chapters of the Bible written. Who knows what heresy will be presented here uh, tonight. So we will find out uh, when she gets up here. But first me, and we're doing a pivot here, um, Paul, Dr. Paul Cack was here last Sunday night. I heard it was awesome, just great, great stuff, and yet I'm so bummed because we had a glitch, technology glitch, and so I didn't get a copy to be able to hear it, but I just heard it was absolutely fantastic, and he's going to be back with us at other parts of this series as well, and he's a professor at Azusa Pacific. His expertise is in the area of how God views our, week, our work. Uh, he at Azusa Pacific is the guy that does the integration between each subject matter and Christian. In faith. So he's the guy that goes around to a chemistry professor and says, how do you look at chemistry from a biblical, godly viewpoint? And goes to a math professor, how do you look at math? In a Christian way, uh, you know, it goes right on through all the disciplines there at APU. And his job is to help those professors see how your Christian faith impacts that. But his real area of expertise is in the area of work. How do we view our work from a biblical, how do we have a proper theology of work? How do we look at our work biblically? And so this series that we've all been doing together kind of collaboratively is called The Other Six Days. Now, so far, we've been talking about when work goes right. That is, when things are just clicking in your workplace, we believe that work is going to be in heaven. Now, how many of you, that makes you not want to go there as much? Okay. But we believe, I mean, think of work without any of the downside. Think of just those days of work where you feel so creative and you're just pumping and things are coming together and your team is working that is just like, like like heaven on earth, you know. When everything's coming together at work, you know that there is a part of you that enjoys work. There's a part of you that comes alive when you work. And we've been talking so far about how God planted that in you. That is something that he designed in you. And so really the first two parts of the series, you could kind of call them, tonight we're calling when work goes wrong, but we could kind of say that the first two parts are when work goes right. And when you work, in a way that uses your gifts and your abilities, um, there's a phrase, you feel God's pleasure. You feel God's pleasure when you build that building, uh, when you um, do that diagnosis as a doctor, when you put that intravenous in as a, as a nurse, and I'm just looking around at the different professions that I see in front of me here, you know, you, you, when, when whatever your work is, okay, when you teach, and all of a sudden that student gets what you're teaching, There's this moment where you're like, I feel God's pleasure. Fill your vocation in the blanks, okay, whatever it is for you, there's just that moment when you're like, man, when I am in my zone at work, I see some people from Hollywood here, so when I act, you know, in just that scene, and it really captures it, you know, Dirk, I always tease Dirk here, because he's like the bad guy on my favorite TV show, The Last Ship, and it's getting ready to gear up once again, and Dirk, you're going to tell me all the things that happen, right, afterwards, if I slip you a $20 bill or something like that, you can, no, he's not. not going to let me know any spoilers, but at any rate, he's the bad guy on Kimberly, my favorite show, and that starts up um, on on June. I'm almost doing a commercial here on TNT (laughs) on June, uh, Sunday nights. We always go home uh, from, you know, from Hub, and we watch people get blown up and everything, and it's just awesome. Their ship saves the world unless Dirk does something bad to stop that from happening. So if the world disappears, it's Dirk's fault. I just want you to know if we all get, okay, enough of that. But anyway, when you're in your zone, that's when you feel his pleasure. And you know how it is when your work, when it's going right, whenever you do that thing, you feel his pleasure. Now we pivot tonight. When work goes wrong. How many of you have ever had anything go wrong at work? Anybody? Okay. Well, that's what we pivot to tonight. We're going to talk about biblically why that happens. And then Lisa's going to teach on how to handle stress when that happens in the workplace. Now, I want to show you another clip. And I want you to know all the clips are at the beginning. And then we're done with clips. I don't think you have any. So I'm doing both my clips right at the beginning. Bang, bang. And then we're done with clips. Now, this is another one when work goes wrong. It's, it's from a movie. i got to do disclaimers on this. called Fury in which the director tried to recreate what it was like to be involved in tank warfare in World War II. And in... One word, it would have been rough, okay? Very, very hard. I always used to think the bombers and the planes and planes, that that was the hardest. But I'm telling you, this movie about tank warfare in World War II, it was horrific. And you're stuck in this tank, and you're doing battle, and if your tank gets hit, you burn alive inside this metal canister. And so it is really, really stressful and really, really hard. And so what I want to say is when work gets this hard, Are you still able to say, and we're going to show you principles from God's word, as to even in the midst of when work goes wrong, you can still say, this is the best job I ever had, okay? You can still say that in the midst of it. One more disclaimer, Kimberly and I watched this movie on ClearPlay, and so do not go home and rent this and say, Pastor Glenn, rent it, you know, suggested it. No, no, we saw it on ClearPlay that takes all the bad words out because, let me just give you a hint, Brad Pitt uses bad words when he fights Nazis, okay? When Brad Pitt fights Nazis, he doesn't say, oh, look, a Nazi. Oh, rats, I, the Nazi shot at me. He doesn't say things like that. So we watched it on ClearPlay. and it was about 15 minutes long, but it was really, it 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 was a very, very exciting 15 minutes. So here we go. See if you can say what they said after a bad day at work. Let's watch this. Okay, I want us to say it on the count of three. Think of your job right now and say the best job I ever had. It's better than that, right? I mean, it is better than that. All right, ready? Count one, two, three, best job I ever had. Okay, what happens when work goes wrong? Why does it go wrong? It goes wrong because of sin. Work in the Garden of Eden was wonderful. When Adam and Eve worked, they felt God's pleasure. But then sin came into the picture. Genesis 3, verse 16. Here are the three consequences of sin. To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So sin messed up marriage. Sin messed up relationships. Sin even brought pain to childbearing. Now here's the part that relates to us. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistle for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So it messes up relationships between men and women. It causes pain in childbirth. It causes work to be hard, and it causes death Death. Uh, to the dust, you will return. And so it becomes fruitless. Do you ever feel like you're working and you're just not getting anywhere? That's because of sin. Now here's the antidote. It's Ephesians 6 verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord and not people. When you do your work and it feels fruitless, if you remember that you're ultimately your boss is God and not your earthly boss... No effort done in service to God, no work done in his honor serving him is ever fruitless. It's an act of worship. And even then, you can feel your pleasure even when it feels uh, worthless and fruitless. And even then, when you work, you can feel his pleasure. Now, the second thing that happens, the Bible says, is that work becomes pointless that is, even when you are successful at work, you still step back and say, well, oh, what's the difference? So I sold 1,000 shoes today. Who, who, what difference does it make in the world? So I, so I you know, taught this classroom of junior hires uh, for the day. Did that really make a difference? And even when I'm successful, work can feel pointless. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, here's the antidote. It's in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 22. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. Now, how can you, but how can you enjoy... Uh, your work. You do it by a proper work-life balance. And we're going to have a whole session on this in the weeks ahead within this series. In a couple of weeks or so we're going to have, or two or three weeks, we're going to have a whole session on how do you balance the rest of your life and your work. But here's one hint as to what's going to come later in the series. Uh, you see this perfect balance in Ecclesiastes 4 verses 5 and 6. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves, okay? So too little work, okay? Too little work. Let's put that up there. Yeah, there it is, good. Ephesians 4, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 5. Fools fold their hands, and so if you do too little work, if you have too much life and too little work, and you fold your hands and say, I'm not gonna go to work today, that you'll bring ruin upon yourselves because you don't get a paycheck or you get fired. Now here's the proper balance. Better one handful with tranquility. Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about in the future in the series. We talk about a proper balance between work uh, and the rest of your life. That is when you have one handful, okay, of the good stuff of life, but you have it with tranquility because you adequately balance both the work uh, and the rest of your life uh, within your life. But then two handfuls with toil. If you go to too much work, if you do too much work as you chase after the wind, Then, eventually, you'll lose the rest of your life because you're imbalanced, too much work, and too little of the rest of it. Now, the ultimate uh, solution is gonna come in Jesus. When Jesus begins to, when he takes over our lives and begins to work through it, that's when we get the proper balance between uh, work and the rest of our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So when we serve Jesus, uh, we do our work as unto the Lord, that's when it becomes an act of worship. Now, the third consequence of sin is work becomes selfish. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, we see there's a technological breakthrough uh, that humanity has. It says, as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Very interesting. For those of you in the construction trade. Okay, how many of you are in some way within the construction trade? I know we got a bunch here. Okay, well, here they had a technological advance. Uh, I don't understand it thoroughly, you probably understand it way better than I do, where they could make bricks and bake them thoroughly, and then they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And that enabled them to have higher buildings, to have multi-story uh, buildings that they were building. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city a ta- with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Okay, their motivation was their own glory. Not the glory of God, but their motivation was to make a name for themselves and to bring glory and honor uh, to themselves. Now, the same thing is going on today. Uh, can anybody tell me, let's just have a little quiz time, what country is the highest building, the tallest building in the world in? I won't give you time to Google it. but uh, Yes, Dubai, which is in the United Arab Emirates. Let's put a picture up there. I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but it's called the Burj Khalifa. Oh, you know what? Priscilla Constantine is here. Where's Priscilla? Priscilla, pronounce that correctly. Oh uh, t- Okay, thank you very much. She has spent her life in Afghanistan and Pakistan. So, uh, And you've probably, have you seen this building? And do Okay, yes, because I know you told me when I came to Pakistan to fly United Arab Emirates air, Emirates air. And you said it's the best one in the world. It was the nicest flight I've ever had. And I basically had it to myself. It was like I was a sheik with my plane, my jet. And the oil money is really awesome, I'm telling you. This thing is almost a half a mile in the air half a mile in the air, and it is currently uh, the tallest building in the world. So people still do that, and we do it for our own glory. And so part of the consequence of sin entering our work is we begin to work not for the glory of God and feel his pleasure, honor and glorify him as we work, but instead we begin to do it for selfish reasons. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. Okay, this is when sin enters in, all of our work becomes for the benefit of feeling more important than somebody else. It all becomes about jealousy. It all comes about uh, because of envy. It's all about having not just any car, but having a car bigger than your neighbor's. Not just any house, but a house bigger than your neighbor's. Um, it, it, It springs from our envy. Sin, when it enters in, it motivates us from a spirit of envy and jealousy, this, too, is meaningless and a chasing after uh, the, the wind. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, writes about this. See how C.S. Lewis puts it in the book Mere Christianity. Now, what I want you to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. And I, I love this line. It's so powerful. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. You know, UCLA studies have shown that it's not about what you have, it's about what you have compared to the people around you. And so right now, very few of us probably feel rich. But if we have what we have right now, and we were in some country that was very poor, we would feel spectacularly rich, and we would be happy as a result of that, because compared to others, we would be rich. We say people are proud of being rich, or clever, or good-looking, but they are not. Okay, We're not happy by being good-looking or smart, or rich. They are proud of being richer, or cleverer, or better looking than others. It is only as we are better looking than somebody else that we take pleasure because of sin. Only that we are richer than the next person that we take pleasure because of sin. Only that uh, we um, uh, uh, feel that we're smarter, if we're smarter than somebody else, that we take pleasure in that. Now here's the antidote. Uh, Esther 4 verse 14. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. To realize, like Esther did, that you are at your job for such a time as this. There's nobody else that can do it but you. And you are there to serve God and to serve other people. To to serve God and serve other people, that's the antidote to serving them out of jealousy or envy. I love this verse, 2 Samuel 5, verse 12. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, okay? God, God had given him that job and had exalted his kingdom. David knew, God gave me this job. He gave me success in this job, but he didn't do it for my sake. Who did he do it for? The sake of his people, Israel. God put you in that job to serve and bless others. God put you in that job and gave you success for the sake of serving God and other people. And then finally, work reveals our idols. Uh, an idol, I love this definition of an idol. An idol is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing. It is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is, do not make any idols. Okay, and here's the antidote. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When we, that's why Christians can enjoy their work more than anybody else because we don't have to give into the danger to make our work our idol. We can say, God, I will seek first you and your kingdom to serve you and other people to see this job as a way to worship you and to feel your pleasure. And then you know what happens when you have God in the proper position rather than worshiping your job? All these things will be given to you as well. All the, your work is actually more enjoyable when it doesn't become your God. Work becomes non-enjoyable when we make it our God. But the advantage that Christ followers have is that we make God our God, and then our work falls into its proper positions, and then we can say, even when it goes wrong, best job I ever had. One more time on the count of three. One, two, three. Best job I ever had. Would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Lisa on Drugs Tony? Here he comes. Okay, go for it. All right,
1: the date was October 29, 1929. Anybody remember what happened? That's right. The, the market crashed. It was known as Black Tuesday, and it ushered in an era in our country known as the Great Depression. That's right. Now, my grandfather, his name was Burl. Burl, B-U-R-L. Isn't that a great name? Anyone looking for a fun name? Burl Huber. He um, was... Um, right around college age when that happened, and there was um, no money in the family to go to school. So he joined the ROTC program that helped put him through school. And after he graduated with an accounting degree from Michigan State University, um, we had hit the 1930s in our country. Um, employment had, unemployment had hit about 25% in our country. That means one out of four people were without to work. So look in the pew with the people that you're sitting with. If there's eight people in your pew, two of you had no jobs. There was no work. Um, International trade had plummeted 50%. I mean, the country, the world was just a mess financially. There was a lot of stress going on in the workplace. So my grandpa uh, graduated from Michigan State University and he heard that there was a job opening at Dow Chemical in Midland, which was um, where he was raised. Dow Chemical was a, a major corporation and they were still um, hiring, unbelievably. So um, they posted a job for, my grandfather had, a, position, had an, a degree in accounting, but there was no accounting jobs open. They posted that there was one job available for a custodian position. And so my grandfather lined up, as did three 30 men line up in, um, outside the doors of Dow Chemical and Dow Corning at the time um, for this interview process. And while they were in line, a man came out to check on them all. And as he came out, um, he went down the line and he shook hands with each man and uh, I'll print your a man Priscilla each man mike I'll shake your hand okay he shook hands with each one of them and at the end of the line after he'd shook hands with all 30 men he said you can all go home now except burl huber he has the job and my grandfather got the job that day based on a firm handshake and looking that person in the eye and so um, he started at Dow Chemical as a custodian, and he stuck with that job, even though he was highly overqualified for that. And um, he, he stuck with it. He did well, and uh, he wor- earned, worked his way up. He soon became the accountant of Dow Chemical Corning, and he became their chief financial officer. And it all started during the Depression, um, getting a job that, um, you know, he was way overqualified for. But my grandfather was humble enough to say, I'll take any work that is out there. And he stuck with it, and he worked. His way up. So that's a story that I've grown up with in my family about how important a firm handshake is and looking people in the eye, um, but also about um, the humility of doing a job that God calls us to, whether that we feel like we're overqualified for it or not, um, that we stick around and, and put in that hard work. Um, But it also was a lesson that kind of went through our family about what to do in the midst of stressful times, Um, that you don't give up, that you don't um, let the situation overcome you, um, but you still hang in there in the midst of stressful times. And so as we've begun this series on work and thinking about when work doesn't go right, I thought it'd be really good for us to spend a few minutes talking about stress. Um, Has anyone ever had a little bit of stress in your job, whether you work... In your home or out of your home. Stress is a reality that we face. Um, So I actually got a few pictures here of a few of you that were dealing with some stress that I thought we'd go ahead and put up there. So David, if you want to run a couple of pictures for me. Um, Got, let's see, one of you that was really, go ahead David. You know, just computer stress—it had the most of you, David. Go ahead, next one. Um, You know, stress just gets the best of us sometimes when we're like really frustrated and we don't know what to do and where to go with things. James tells us in one uh, James one two through four, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are these the first words that come to mind when you face trials at work? That's not usually the the words that I come through. Like, oh, thank you, God. I'm finding joy in this situation. But James calls us to consider it pure joy. Why would James call us to that when we face trials? He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Okay, and what good is perseverance to us? Perseverance exercises those muscles that even when things don't go right, we hang in there. We stick through it. We go through the hard times trusting that God has something good for us on the other side. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So when we persevere in the midst of stressful times or in difficult circumstances, we have a promise that God is doing a work in our hearts and in our lives and in, uh, in growing us and maturing us to be more and more Christ-like in our environment. It doesn't always feel like that when we're stressed out, does it? Um, let's look at some job st- stress statistics that are out there. A Northwestern National Life Study found that 40% of workers report their job is very or extremely stressful, and that one-fourth of employees view their jobs as the number one stressor in their lives. Okay, so 40%, that's like four out of every 10 people. Another study, a Families and Work Institute study found 26% of workers report they are often or very often burned out or stressed by their work. A Yale University study found 29% of workers feel quite a bit or extremely stressed at work. A Princeton survey research associate study reports that three-fourths of employees believe the worker has more on-the-job stress than a generation ago. That's three-fourths. That's 75%. That's 75 people out of every 100 people. A Gallup poll found that 80% of workers feel stress on the job and nearly half reported that they needed help in learning how to manage it. I mean, our numbers are just going up here. And according to an article in Shape magazine, women are 60% more likely to suffer suffer from job stress than men. So we've got a wide branch of people that are doing studies on stress in the workplace. And I think consistently it is showing us that stress is real, that we have a lot of stress in our world today. And there's a lot of things that happen as a result of stress. Um, While the causes can be something other than job stress, here are the most common symptoms, okay? So um, just pick your favorite, maybe what you're going through right now. Okay, here's the list. Apathy, Apathy. Negativism and cynicism, low morale, boredom, anxiety, frustration, fatigue, depression, alienation, anger, irritability, physical problems like headaches, stomach problems, pinched nerves, absenteeism, weight gain. I mean, there are so many problems that result out of stress because um, as I've experienced this week when my body gets stressed, I don't know if I got my pinched from stress, but, um, you know, when something breaks down and isn't working right, it kind of throws off your whole body for me. And when something's not working right at work, it throws off kind of your whole attitude, your whole perspective towards life as you interact with your family, as you interact with your friends, as you interact with your coworkers. Um, I found this, uh, you want to put this up, David, stress spelled backwards. Sometimes this is helpful just to help you keep perspective, right? Someone told me if stress were calories, I would be a supermodel, right? If stress were calories, I'd be a supermodel. So the whole idea that stress is something that impacts us in a lot of negative ways is a reality. Um, We have all kinds of um, just behaviors that start to... You know, exhibit themselves in our bodies, whether that's depression or you're not able to sleep well or um, you're not able to eat well. There's all kinds of things that take a result in our body when there's something going on that causes us stress, and often that stress is a result of our work. Okay, so let's talk about some of these causes. Why do we get so stressed out at work? Um, what is the reason you're stressed out at work? Don't name names. My boss, my coworker. Okay. Here's some of the causes of job stress. Not my boss. Not my boss. No, 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 no. Okay. Lack of control in the workplace, right? If you're in a position where you can't control the way things are going, if you just have to do things that were told to you in a certain way and perhaps you disagree with them or they're ineffective, that can be a lack of control that you feel. And that can cause a lot of stress to you when you think you should be doing something differently. Increased responsibility. Maybe someone just keeps putting more and more responsibility on you without more pay, without more hours, without more resources. So when you keep getting piled on more responsibility, that can be a stressor in work. Lack of meaningful work. Um, Maybe you feel like you've got a job that you do that isn't making a difference. Maybe you feel like you've got a job that isn't helping the team at work. Um, Maybe the process or the system doesn't make sense. That can be really frustrating and puts some stress on you. How about an unhealthy work environment? Maybe you've got, you know, Mr. Negativity or Miss Negativity that you work with that creates a really unhealthy work environment, and it's hard to stay positive when you're forced to work with create an unhealthy work environment. Uncertainty about work roles. If you don't have clarity from your supervisor about what it is you're supposed to do, you're left guessing, and that can be really frustrating and increase a lot of stress when you don't know what your work role is supposed to be. Who's supposed to do what? Who's supposed to get the job done? I mean, did anybody like those group reports that you had to do in school? I mean, right? Who likes group reports where you have to work together and everyone's like, who's going to do what, and then nobody does it, and then one person ends up doing it all, and everybody's mad at each other? Group reports, they're the worst, man. All right, poor communication. How about this one? When, um, you know, nobody has clearly identified what a win is in that situation. They're just like, okay, go for it. And you're like, well, what are we supposed to do here? I don't know what, it, what, what the process is. I don't know what our end goal is. I don't know what a win looks like. If there's not good communication in the work environment, that can be really stressful. Lack of support at work um, if you don't have the right equipment, the right tools, the right resources, and then poor working conditions Um, if the environment in which you work is not um, a, a place that feels safe or comfortable. That can be really stressful. So research tells us there's a lot going on in our work environments that can cause all of these things to happen. So what do we do? How do we handle that as men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ? How do we handle stress differently than your coworkers who aren't followers of Christ? Um, Well, I brought a resource for you today. You ready? stress balls with happy faces on them. So I have these for everybody. So if you're at the back, if you want to pass the the basket, there's two in the back and two in front, grab one and then take them and pass them back. I have stress balls for you. So this will help you. Okay. And as you get your stress ball, we're going to talk about some other really practical ways um, that you can work towards being a Christ follower who works to defeat stress in your life and in the workplace. Okay, the first thing I want you to keep in mind, um, you can get your stress ball out and play with it, that's okay, I don't mind. I have kids, so I'm used to a lot of, you know, stuff going on at once. Okay, the first thing to do is to keep your job in perspective, because jobs are disposable and people are not, right? You are not your job, Jobs are important. They create um, opportunity for us to have income and resource to support our families and the things that we want to do in life. But jobs come and go and people do not. So you need to make sure that people remain your priority. If you are getting stressed out at work, um, you have to remember that you are not your job and that there are other jobs out there. If your job is something that is completely overstressing you and your family, then it is time to talk about other options. It's time to look at other options. Your job should not put so much stress on you that it comes between your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. If you spend so much time working that you don't have friends, then it's time to think about a different strategy at work. Scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12, in fact, You do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you to. This is Paul talking to the community. He says, So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So, Paul is calling the Christian church, the community there in Thessalonica, he's saying it is important for you to work. You need to work with your hands, you need to earn a living, you need to do that so you're not dependent on other people. But you need to do it differently than the people that don't know Jesus. You need to do it in a way so that your daily life will earn respect from outsiders, that outsiders are always looking in, and so that as we work, it becomes about maintaining those relationships with people and not just about the task, not just about the job, so that the outsiders will look in and they will view you with respect. And as Paul is encouraging them to do that, he's doing that because he believes with all his heart that all that we do is is an opportunity to win people to Jesus. And so even our work in unhealthy environments, when we keep the people as our priority and our focus, can become an opportunity for us to be a light about Christ. Even if we can't talk about Jesus in our workplace, even if we're prohibited from doing that, nothing can change when our actions, through kindness and respect and integrity, Um, speak volumes to people about who we are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, number two, don't let bad behavior be an excuse for your own life. Live with integrity. So it's pretty easy if you're in a gossip office situation to just kind of join on in. And did you hear? Did you know? Oh my gosh, can you believe it? Right? It is so easy to join that because it's really tempting to um, join in on on inappropriate behavior or um, to, you know, join in against talking um, negatively about your supervisor or about the task that was assigned to you. Um, but when we do that, again, our witness becomes compromised. First Chronicles 29:17 says, "I know my God, that you test the heart and you are pleased with what? Integrity. integrity. What's integrity? What does that mean? Integrity means being honest. What else does it mean? Doing the right thing. When no one's watching, right? It means you don't pocket the stapler and take it home with you, right? It means when no one is looking, you are still a man or woman who follows the teachings of Jesus. It means that we live as a light in a dark world, even in a dark marketplace or a dark work environment, that we live with integrity and that God sees that. God honors that. God will give you the strength to endure a situation um, when you live with integrity, Okay, and then let's look at the third one, and I think this is the most important one. Um, Pray about your job. Okay, so this really only is true if you are a follower of Jesus. If you have not yielded your life to Christ or you're kind of checking out the claims of Christianity, this isn't for you. But if you claim that you are a follower of Jesus, this can make a significant difference in impacting the stress in your work environment because we are called to pray to trust that when we communicate with God God hears us and God works through the power of the prayers of his people first Thessalonians 5:16 through 18 says rejoice always and pray what Continually give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, so when I'm talking about praying about your job, I'm not talking about like when you park in the parking garage or um, if you work at home, if you pull up in the garage and you've got a car full of groceries that you got unloaded, you're like, God, help me through today, man. Help me, just help me, God, help me, God, and that's your prayer. I am talking about Specifically getting down on your knees and praying about what is going on with your boss god i don 't understand why my boss made this decision. She does not make sense to me. God would you give me insight into my boss and why she 's asking me to do this? It means talking specifically about the coworkers that you 're having issues with god i don 't know why I have to work in this cubicle next to these people i don 't understand why I 'm put in this group project. These people don 't make sense to me. These people they swear all the time and it's, it 's it's it's tempting to me to use bad words. And I don't want to do that. Help me, God. It means getting really specific with God about what your work environment is and about how you are feeling challenged as a man or woman of God. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you you can do this. I mean, I I believe God will hear your prayers. Um, This is one that you can go ahead and practice and try. But if you are a Christ follower, we are called to this. We are called to be different men and women in the work environment than the rest of the world. And by this, they will know that you love God. By this, they will see that you are a different person, that you are a man or woman of integrity, that you stick with it even when it's hard, when other people are compromised, that you are not. And so I challenge you, I challenge me, I challenge all all of us, to be a person of prayer this week about our work. That we just don't go to work this week and say, all right, God, whatever, help me. But very specifically, pray before God about the, the problems, the situations, the people that you really want God to intervene in, that you want God to give you insight in, that you want God to help you with. Because I believe God cares. God cares about your work. God cares about who you are at work. And I believe that God wants to use you at work. And if we can be men and women who are used by God in our workplace, you just never know how God is going to use that. How people will be like, You're kind of different. How come you don't do that gossip thing? How come you're like, got a good attitude about this project? How come, how come, how come? And all of a sudden, a door is opened. And an invitation is made about why you are different in the workplace. So we're going to close today. And um, you can just throw your stress ball at work this week or hold on to it, whatever's good for you. But I just want to close us in a time of prayer. And I'm just going to give us, you know, just a few, a few seconds here, just let you kind of yield yourself before God about your work environment, um, what it is that is stressing you out, whether you work at home, whether you work um, at school or at a company, at a corporation, um, whether you work at a church. Believe it or not, we have stress too in our positions here. And so um, we really need to be a people that, that bring these things before God and ask God, um, "Would you work in my life through my job, through my work environment so let 's just go to the Lord in prayer silently for a, a few a little bit and then i 'm just going to close this up okay. God, I am very grateful for this room of people here tonight. I thank you for the ways that you have gifted them. I thank you for the many professions that we represent in a group this big, Lord. And God, it's kind of thrilling to think that we have Christians in so many different avenues of work in our world. And God, as, um, as grateful as we are for the jobs that you allow us to have, um, I know that there's got to be just huge amounts of stress in this room right now. Statistically, there's just a huge amount of stress in this room from our work, Lord. And Jesus, we just want to take some time tonight to just yield that to you and, and say, God, um, we are grateful that you know us so well. We are grateful that you know what stresses us out. And God, I thank you that you are bigger than the situations that we face at work. I thank you, God, that you um, want us to live as um, your light and your truth and your salt in our different work environments. And so, Jesus, I just pray for each person here. I pray, Lord, that they would be able to live as men and women of integrity this week, Lord. That in their workplace, you would give them an extra measure of grace and perseverance and wisdom and discernment, Lord, um, so that they can represent you well. Jesus, I pray that by the power of the whole of your Holy Spirit. You will prompt us as we are entering our workplace to, to yield all of our stress and our struggles before you very specifically. And that we would look to see how you are working in our work environments. We thank you that you are a God who created work, that you created us to work. And so, Father, um, we just commit ourselves as workers and we commit our work to you now. It's in Jesus' holy and mighty name we pray. Amen.